And so from our experience of that, we knew that complexity always made it harder to execute cleanly. In fact, my yeah. saying is complexity is the enemy of profits in that's, real estate development. That's right. So that's right. Simplify. Think of like how the home builders do it, right? Like any market that you're in, the home builders will always have, you know, plan A, B, C. Um, you know, maybe they don't like describe it as simply as I am, but what they do is they want to build the same unit over and over again. So their subs know the product, they know how to price it, they know how to execute on it, they can mm -hmm. strip out all the complexity that's that they can to really just get a, a very smooth production cycle. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals, and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them, and so do his listeners and students. Now sit back, listen, listen learn, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So hey everybody, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I am excited to be with you as always and share amazing content about raising money, doing deals, both single family, multifamily, large apartments. Um, and I hope you're staying safe and healthy in the middle of this uh, kind of uncertain economic times, this virus business. Um, I'm lucky and excited that I've been working from home for over 10 years uh, off and on. And uh, so this is nothing new to me. So I finding if you're finding this on YouTube and we're hanging out in my home office, I've got two offices and Today, the wife is working upstairs in the other office, so I've got the basement mm -hmm. office, which is fine by me, but we're having a good time. Also wanted to announce that we just closed a 196-unit deal literally an hour ago before we're about to get going with Scott uh, in, in this interview. So $20 million deal, Mobile, Alabama. Deals are still happening, um, and that was a workforce housing deal, and today, I want to introduce you guys to a relatively new friend of mine. His name is Scott Choppin. Scott is the founder and CEO of an organization called the Urban Pacific Group of Companies. Uh, he is a developer, builder of workforce housing, specifically the urban townhouse uh, model and has developments going on, has been in commercial real estate for over 20 years. So we're going to talk about his business and the development opportunities before this virus, what's going on today, what he's experiencing, and what he sees going into the future. So Scott, we're excited to learn more about you and your companies. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, great to be here, Josh. By the way, congrats on closing that deal. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's, so Scott, that's uh, good news. I like it. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Um, so Scott, tell us, tell our audience just right now, not virus stuff, but tell us about mm -hmm. what you do. What, what were you doing a yeah. month ago when things were quote unquote normal? What does right. your company do? What do you develop? 
How does it work? How many units do you have? Do you develop for other people? Just help us give us some foundation about you and your company. Sure. Yeah, help me remember all those questions, by the way, because I'll get into it and I'll go, uh, I'll go off the rails. That's here. all good. All good. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Great to be here. So we're a real estate development company. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we do hold assets and, and now are starting to hold, you know, all the assets on a go forward basis, but we're really a ground up new construction real estate development company. I've been doing that. Uh, personally, I've been in the business for 35 plus years. Uh, professionally, since 1995, I have a family background in real estate development. So I grew nice. up around, you know, my uncle Mike and my dad Carrie building, you know, apartment projects. Uh, so got a taste for it. And then uh, when I was 18, decided that it was something that I wanted to do as a career. Read a few great how to invest in real estate books, and you yes. know. Sort of, got me excited about being an entrepreneur and I knew what that was in the real estate development business. Cause you know, that business is not necessarily, you know, mainstream people know what that is and that's fine. Um, so we really have specialized in urban infill, meaning building inside the city perimeter of, you know, predominantly in the West coast and West United States, um, doing different product types over the year. So we've built podium buildings, you know, middle density, high density, you know, residential, but re- we're really apartment guys. Like if you're going to look at our track yeah. record generally. And then in the last couple of years, really about three years, we've been focused uh, wholly on a workforce housing model we call urban townhouse, which you mentioned nice. before, yeah. we call it for short. And really what happened in 2016 is we finished up a couple of very significant apartment development assets, 453 units in, in uh, Westminster, Colorado that we did in a joint venture with Lennar a few podium assets in Southern California. But when we got done with those, it gave us, we had a little gap in our uh, production cycle. So it really gave me the chance to look around the marketplace in late 2016. We were seeing some changes in the marketplace for capital availability, lending and, and equity. And a lot of product coming online, right? A lot of supply and of, in the real estate development, new construction business, oversupply is always an issue that we need to right. be you know, tracking closely. Uh, and we don't have that problem so much in, in California because we're generally undersupplied, but, you know, certain micro markets would, would certainly, um, you know, produce oversupply potentially. And we were seeing that. And so it, it gave us uh, the opportunity to really start look around and say, what do we want to be doing that's different? We see a lot of great developers doing these, you know, studio one bedroom units, really right. uh, hitting the Gen Z millennial demographic. The micro stuff, yeah. Yeah, micro units, studios ones, really fitting that younger demographic and, and you know, great demographic to serve, right? You know, Gen Z millennial largest demographic cohort in U.S. history, um, but also a lot of competition. And so we're always looking to be an uncommon offer be where people aren't serving markets that are undersupplied. So we, through our background in doing some affordable housing and a lot of market rate apartment projects, knew both sides of the spectrum of that development, you know, those development businesses and recognized that there was a space in between those, right? Really thinking middle income, working families that were, you know, gainfully employed, several incomes in a household usually made too much money to qualify for true affordable, right? Had yeah. Overqualified, but didn't necessarily want to afford a brand new luxury, you know, downtown sexy, you know, studio yeah. unit, or they had a large family that didn't make sense to live in that type of housing anyways. So. Yeah. I wanted at least a tiny yard. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, yeah. you know, need bedrooms, need bathrooms, need garages to park cars. Right. Yeah. So, 
what we started to, to explore were some assets that we found, some land deals that we bought very, very inexpensively and gave us the capability to experiment in a small way without taking huge amounts of risk. And so mm-hmm. one particular site sort of uh, ended up evolving into what was UTH, meaning it was a product, uh, project rather that the zoning limited the unit count but didn't necessarily limit the size of the unit. And we wanted to maximize the development of this particular parcel was in downtown Long Beach where we're based. And uh, we started to sort of design the idea of doing multiple bedrooms in a given unit, right? Unit count was restricted, but let's maximize rental income. How do we do that, right? So we start to increase number of bedrooms, we start to increase bathroom count. And then, you know, we ended up with a garage, right? Private garages for apartments is a rarity. So we thought that Very might rare. have some value in the rental marketplace. So we did that project and ended up underwriting $26.50 for the rents and went out into the market and got $29.50, like arranged from $29.50 to $32.50 for this unit wow. that we underwrote at $26.50. So when that happened, we knew, hey, this is, there's, there's a story here, right? So that ended up being the first UTH project. And then we started to design to produce more projects, scale the, the idea, right? Um, you know, scale meaning more projects, bigger projects. And then we refined the idea of UTH, which now is a three-story townhouse. The original one was a two-story townhouse. Okay. Uh, shrink the footprint, uh, still keep the garage on the ground floor, get more units on a given piece of ground, right? Up the density, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, hold to what was that large family demographic. So we ended up at a five bedroom, four bath, three-story townhouse unit, two-car wow. direct access garage on the ground floor, uh, intended specifically to serve uh, multi-generational middle-income working families. You know, we'll, we'll, we have roommates that, you know, pair up or, you know, yeah. get multiple roommates in a unit. So we're open to that too. And really started to, you know, expand the idea of UTH. And it really fit a great niche, Josh, with, which was in California and many urban markets, you have these middle-income working families that are basically being priced out of the marketplace. Sure, if they, if they sure. need to rent, but they want a unit that's coherent with their lifestyle meaning they have a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that nobody was serving that marketplace. So we've basically expanded, you know, fairly rapidly into that marketplace. Of course, always being cautious, given the oversupply, you know, story and, you know, downturn. Sure. But when we came out, oh, let me stop you there. Well, no, I was going to say, I love the idea that, and this is what I find with very, a lot of other successful entrepreneurs, very few of us go into an idea with the intention of that exact idea, it's just about right. getting going, right? And yeah. seeing something. And then it's like, oh, I stumbled onto this idea. And then I stumbled onto mm. that idea. So when you say multi-generational, you're talking about potentially grandma and grandpa, middle-aged parents with children. So that's multi-generational right. for anybody that doesn't understand. That's right. And that's why you think like, how the heck can they fill up a five-bedroom? Well, that's you know, you're talking about families. You're talking mm-hmm. about building up and down, lots of space, but up and down with room for right. a garage to the point where – you know, $3,000 a month in that California market with those kind of incomes out there, it works. You probably didn't roll into this thinking, that's exactly the product I want. The market just told you what the market wanted. 
And a good entrepreneur, what they do is they listen to the market. And often it's not the exact idea that the entrepreneur has at the beginning. It's the market Mm -hmm. telling the entrepreneur, this is what the market wants. And you are smart enough to listen to that. So I just want my audience to hear that. And I say this over and over again, that it doesn't matter what kind of real estate you're doing. could be a single family. could be rental. Mm -hmm. What is the product? What does the market want? What are they willing to pay for? Where is their undersupply and a lot of demand? Don't be married to a strategy. Be right. married to what the market needs. That's all I wanted to that, interject there, Scott. Absolutely. And and you you hit on one item, which was undersupply, right? That's a real key for me. And this is true for whether you're doing value add, but like you say, any real estate transaction, investment, development, project. You know, I, I'll give you an example. I had a conversation. So we do some advisory for third-party companies that want to do real estate development, usually in the commercial sector. We have a team sure. that handles all that. So we're a real estate developer uh, on behalf of others, like services, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I had a guy approach me and he says, uh, hey, I want to do this project. So I start asking him, well, you know, what's your design? He goes, oh, I, I'm doing, you know, I can't remember the size of the project, 50 units. And he goes, I'm doing all two bedrooms. I go, why, why are you doing that? And yeah. he goes, well, that's what I think, you know, is needed. And I go, well, uh, okay, you know, I don't offend the guy, but I go, did you, what research did you do? And what did that come up? Oh, no, I didn't yeah. do that. And I said, well, let me stop <laughs> you there. Yeah. It happens in Southern California, two bedroom apartment units are the most common, you know, housing stock across the entire Southern California marketplace. And I said, look, why would you go in to compete in the most competitive part of the entire rental market? Do something different. Now, you know, for us doing five bedrooms, that's a pretty radical departure that we, you know, knew where the concentration of housing stock was. And we wanted to be on the, on the outside of that, or be in the space that's undersupplied, still be competitive, still be undersupplied in a market that has demand. Because sometimes, you know, if there's no units being developed of that type, maybe there's no demand for that. So that's one of the stories that you could be in. But there also could be that it's so different or people don't recognize a part of the market. So that undersupply, really go in a place and you go, what can I look for that's undersupplied that I have some confidence of execution, right? We still have to execute Mm -hmm. Still have to build. We still have to market and finance and acquire land and all those things that we do. Can we do that competently? And for us, the three-story, in fact, arguably, Josh, the three-story, you know, build is the most, the simplest build we've ever done. Right. right? Oh, really? You know, Tell me about that. Why? Well, our history was uh, urban infill, so a lot of podium buildings. Podium being, yeah. you know, uh, underground parking structure with the unit stack on top of it, sure. right? You know, going underground, subgrade, uh, PT, you know, post-tension, you know, concrete decks, very complicated, a lot of coordination, yeah. need high-level subs. And so from our experience of that, we knew that complexity always made it harder to execute cleanly. In fact, my yeah. saying is complexity is the enemy of profits in that's, real estate development. That's right, so that's right. Simplify think of like how the home builders do it, right? Like any market that you're in, the home builders will always have, you know, plan A, B, C, um, you know, maybe they don't like describe it as simply as I am, but what they do is they want to build the same unit over and over again. So their subs know the product, they know how to price it, they know how to execute on it. They can mm-hmm. strip out all the complexity that's that they can to really just get a, a very smooth production cycle. And so we've always, 
right, admired that, always wanted to accomplish that. But, you know, in our market of doing urban infill podium buildings, every building's different, right? Yeah. Uh, every building's its one-off design. So now with the UTH model, we basically use that same unit footprint, the five-bedroom, four-bath unit, and then we just lay it out on a site. You know, each site is configured differently. One is square, one is, you know, you know whatever, rectangular. But we'll lay the units out with that same footprint. We just, yeah. you know, sort of design it on a piece of ground that way. And then uh, we have, you know, subs that do this, you know, these units, these projects for us over and over again. So same framers, you know, same, you know, yeah. uh, concrete guys, you know, doing the foundation, the flat work. And we just want to really ring out every little, you know, hitch or every little friction point in this along the cycle in the construction, we do that now for land acquisition entitlements, which we can talk about. But the model really is intended. We've always designed it from the get-go that every step of the development cycle had simplicity as as the overarching you know goal. I mean, we need to yeah. be profitable. We need to execute well, right? Of course, we need to produce yields for our, our uh, investors. But the way we do that is by you know stripping out the friction and the pro- process. It as simple as pro- yeah. yeah, simple as possible. Yeah. And that's what I find very successful entrepreneurs. Doesn't matter what niche they're in. Um, I was sitting down with Matt Rodak, for example. Matt is a young guy, um, probably 30 years old, founded a crowdfunding platform called Fund That Flip, was doing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically fix and flip loans at scale in 25 different Mm -hmm. states and a lot of Wall Street money that he recruited. Um, And when we were sitting at his conference table, this is just about a month ago, he was telling us his number one goal was to get the money to market at as cheap and as fast as possible. And what I heard was, let's make it as simple and repeatable and scalable as possible. Since it's the same thing you're saying with with large infill buildings, which can be very complicated, very dense. You have a lot of buildings and people right on top of each other. Yeah, development is not a simple business, right? As you know. No, it's not. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. So, right. so Scott, what have you learned along along the way? I'm curious to know about you, the entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. I always like to talk yeah. in this podcast about deals and deal structure, but sure. I always like to know like what's going on behind the scenes of the actual entrepreneur, the CEO, the founder. Yeah. So what have you learned along your journey? Like what if what what about this business is fulfilling? your you know, growth and progress needs. Um, what What is it about the business that excites you on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. What is the things that challenge you on a regular basis? Uh, running the show, kind of being the guy yeah. pulling a lot of the levers. Absolutely. Great question. So, you know, one of the, I'll just, you know, the complexity, right? Stripping complexity. I was one of the things I learned. I mean, I learned that from a series of projects. I mean, you know, we've done, you know, you know, you know, 
thousands of units at this point. And so you learn how to sort of, you know, wring the complexity out of these deals. But, yeah. you know, really, I think uh, where I go with it is in underwriting, you know, to answer your question about, you know, what have I learned along the way? So, we, you know, I think most everybody, certainly you and I went through the 2008 recession, right. that taught a lot of very hard, but well-learned lessons. And, and one of those that I came away with was, you know, how to better underwrite conservatively uh, the, the the joke I make is when I was a young project manager working for, you know, major real estate development corporation, like my mode was every deal can work, right? There's yeah. no deal that I can't work on, that I can't problem solve and make Jam them all in there. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, it's hairy. <laughs> like I could get, you know, I can do this, right? Yeah. And I'm totally the opposite today. Now, of yeah. course, I, I'm at a different risk profile. But, you know, when I first started my company now 20 years ago, like I was, you know, I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are optimistic. Certainly real estate developers are, right? Real estate yeah. people generally. But what it was, was to basically just underwrite in a way that is like foundational, right? Like we ground all the assessments. So let's say a project, when you underwrite, it has a hundred variables, right? I mean, every project's different, but yeah. let's say there's a hundred. Um, you need to, to get good grounded assessments, grounded research information on probably 50 of the most important ones. The second 50, maybe, you know, you just have history or historical numbers that you can work from. And to then plug those in and either the deal doesn't work or it does, right? Yeah. And if you see it not working, you might like research more and maybe there's some data that you can get that can update rents or operating expenses or this mm -hmm. or that, right? But I really now, if, if it's not a clear picture very early in an underwriting of a new deal, um, you know, as, as, as our acquisition teams bring us deals and we look at them and we assess them and there's a story there, we'll continue to underwrite more, more definitively. But any, you know, step along the way, if it's clear to me that there's one major variable that is not changeable, like rents just cannot be, you know, the, yeah. the classic story, you know, for a lot of people is, oh, well, if rent, rents are, you know, 3000 a month and this deal is not working at 3000 maybe this boost it up to 3250 You know, that can make the yeah. pro forma work, man. You can make any pro forma work if you try hard enough. Yeah, just fact. numbers on a spreadsheet. You could jam them all in there. They are. I mean, we look but at hundreds fact, of deals and one of the right. first thing you're trying to do, just like we do a new development, UTH, is how fast can I kill this deal? Like, what <laughs> yeah, are right, all exactly. the ways that I can kill it? Yeah. And if a deal just yeah. won't die, then it's it's got legs potentially, right? Yeah, right. As opposed that's to right. a lot of guys that don't look at enough deal flow. I think that's where it starts. They don't look at enough deal yeah. flow. So they're trying to jam in. Like, I need a deal. I need to keep my guys busy. Mm -hmm. I, I want to do the next thing. I've got capital. I've got investors that want to do a deal. So then they do something that's marginal and then all of a sudden some shit happens like the coronavirus that that yeah. deal that they probably shouldn't have done to begin with that they were too optimistic about. Now mm -hmm. it bites them real bad. Yeah, and right. It becomes now a thorn, something that they're half developed in or they already own it. And now they've got to own it. Let's, you know, commercial real estate is not something you just exit tomorrow. It's something yeah. once you buy it, you're kind of married to that thing for a while. Um, and we buy all of our stuff to own them forever. We don't really buy mm -hmm. them to sell them. We buy them to own them forever. Obviously, if we get an offer, we'll sell the thing at the right price. But yeah, we buy it to own sense. them forever. So you get married to a deal. So you <laughs> kill it, kill it, kill it as fast as you can. Yeah. That's the rule, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I tell my teams I'm like super brutal, right. In the underwriting yeah. process, if there's any whiff of difficulty, you know, tough city, you know, rents just, we just can't get there on rents or, 
you know, entitlements like us in California, zoning and entitlement processes are, are exceptionally difficult. In fact, we designed UTH when we created the program to only purchase sites that were zoned already. Like we only okay. bought by right. Now we've expanded as we want to scale up. We're having to take on a little bit of little bit of additional entitlement work. But if I look at a site today and it needs rezone and general plan amendment and site plan review and you know, et cetera, et cetera, I go, no, not, yeah. I won't even touch uh-uh. it. And it's interesting because, you know, it sounds like not so much fun. But I honestly, like you, right, I, I, you know, how to put this, I enjoy killing a deal because I know when a deal makes it, it's fun to execute on it because then you're, you have more safety, you have more margin, yeah. more cushion, like we're, like we have confidence. a deal in construction confidence. right now. Confidence is so important in this business. Yeah. Like when you get into a deal and you're constantly second guessing yourself, it can weigh on you as an entrepreneur every single night. I mean, Josh, it weighs on you anyways. Even right. when you have a well underwritten deal, I still like, you know, you probably do, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in the acquisition value add mode. So it's a little bit different, but you know, when you buy, you know, you just closed in that deal on mobile, you said, right. Yep. Um, you know, you still got to execute on the upgrades. You still got to capture the upside in rents. You know, you're in the coronavirus environment. You bought well, I'm sure. Right. right? You know, you yep. made your money on the purchase. And so, but it does bring you more like you're more settled to go, look, I, I, I underwrote a safe deal. So I'll give you an example of what I'm doing right now. You asked about what we're doing yeah. now. So we're seeing land cost and construction cost drop. Like, I mean, it's only been three or four weeks and it's already dropping. So yeah. we have, we're pursuing a land asset in Long Beach. Um, you know, they had already dropped the price because it wasn't selling, um, and we came back to them with, you know, more of a reduction because we just said, look, this is the environment, you know, we're already seeing people drop costs on deals that we track. Right. And then construction, uh, on our Montebello project, which is a, another UTH project, we had a huge increase in labor, right? I mean, guys showing up on the job site, Hey, I want to, I'm a framer. You got work. And of course, you know, we leave that to the subcontractors to deal with. We, we basically, how we do as a home builder model, we, Mm-hmm. Uh, go direct to all of our subs. Uh, we don't work, use a GC. Um, so I call it the home builder model. In other words, where the owner going direct to subcontractors is a way to think of it. But we do know when more labor shows up, we're going to have two things happen. One is immediately we should start uh, moving more with more velocity on the construction. And we've already picked up probably 20 yeah. or 30% in, you know, speed of execution. And then we'll look to, because labor is your biggest component of your subcontract costs generally, um, that we're going to already starting to see contract drop, um, you know, uh, bids drop rather, and then lower contracts. And then we're hearing, you know, and we don't wish this, of course, Josh, we want everybody to be, you know, feeling good and, and, you know, be confident in the marketplace, but, you know, subs are already saying, look, I, you know, this job when I finish is the last job I have in my pipeline. Yeah. Like they're looking at no work and I don't like wish that. And, you know, we've been there as the developer when you go, Hey, there's nothing more in the pipeline. And sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, you know, our good subs who say, Hey, look, you're going to get all of our work. You know, we're still producing projects, even in this environment. And we can talk a little bit about that, you know, uh, later, but, uh, you know, we'll keep you going. Right. And we can't promise you that'll be rock solid, you know, unending work for the next three years. There may be gaps, but you're our go-to folks. Give us good pricing and you will have the work. Right. And that's the, and that's the compact we made with them when times were good. Hey, you know, I know you got a lot of other demands to go to other projects. We'll always give you your, 
our work, right? If you take care of us, you know, and that usually was, it's you know, about pricey. Relationships. It's all and about so relationships. that, that pays off, right? Now we're in an environment and, you know, I don't want to, you know, our intention is not to crush anybody. We need to keep these guys alive, keep them, you know, mm-hmm. making, you know, profits, but we're all going, Hey, look, we're in the environment where everybody's less profitable, right? Mm-hmm. Ostensibly. Um, so those are the kind of things that, w- that we move with, you know, so we talk about building networks of, of good subs, good vendors, good land brokers, right? Um, we got good identity with, with those in our networks. Like we take care of people, you know, we treat them fairly, you know, we pay them well when it's, you know, it's when we have the capability, we ask them for discounts when, you know, we want to keep yeah. them working. Uh, so all those things pay off. And I mean, and these are, these are generalizations, which are true and value add investments generally. Um, but, you know, that's just, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, so, you know, we've learned how to underwrite conservatively, you know, we've learned how to build powerful networks. Uh, we've learned how to build, you know, reputation identity, right? So these would be lessons mm-hmm. that, you know, I learned over the years. years. Well, that's the awesome. stuff that's going to carry you through, Scott, in this next could be six months to 24 months. That yeah. You got to lay the groundwork for that stuff before, because now as everyone's a little bit uncertain what to do, you go back to the guys or the gals that you have confidence in. You go back to yeah. the subs you have confidence in, the investors that you have confidence in, the bankers and the yeah. lenders you have confidence in. You know, you go back and look at, okay, if you're a buyer of land or buyer of a value-add deal and the sellers, you know, have to drop their price, but they know that you're a player, they know you can execute, they're looking at you, even though the price might be lower, to say, hey, I know Scott, he might have been, even 30 days ago, willing to pay more. Today, he's willing to pay mm-hmm. less, but I know he can close. I know yeah, he's going to be able but- to buy. The, you, the, you know, you're, you're saying the same thing I am, but it's like trust. Like yeah. I trust this sub's going to perform and the tr- sub says, Hey, I know they're going to give me their work. Right. They've always been, mm-hmm. you know, fair and, you know, like, you know, held their commitments. Uh, that's incredibly important generally. I mean, in all business, like trust is just fundamental. It's everything, like relationships, no doubt. Transact. In my newest real estate investing book, The Flip System, you'll learn the proven secrets and strategies that I've used to be a successful real estate investor. You'll also hear the story of my journey from quitting my job to doing over 2,000 units of apartments. The Flip System is now available for a limited time, and you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. You'll learn the same proven principles and secrets and investing strategies that I used to quit my job and pursue a life of financial freedom. In this book, I'm sharing exactly how I was able to personally close over 750 profitable real estate deals, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million, and acquire over 2,000 units of cash-flowing apartments. Get my newest book now for free at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. Scott, help yeah. me understand on your deals that you guys are now buying or buying the land, developing, and then holding, right? Or you mm-hmm. just refinance a bunch of your stuff to hold. Tell me a little bit about your investor profile. Like who's your ideal yeah. investor? What's kind of like the structure of a typical deal that you work on with your UTH product? Yeah. So what's happening right now, I mean, this was a story that was generally successful because housing costs were high. 
And we offered a more affordable version that was also coherent with the family lifestyle, right? So that was the story pre, you know, recession, pre-coronavirus recession. After that, we've always anticipated and known that these families were generally, they live defensively, right? So they're working class, they're blue collar, you know, salt of the earth. And they always lived, you know, defensively. They, they, they had been tested previously. Like we talked about being tested as entrepreneurs. They were tested as, you know, in their lifestyle and, and how they work, you know, guys in construction who had layoffs and they saved their money and prepared for that would be an example. And so we're actually seeing an acceleration in this marketplace, which is, you know, not, not typical, contrary to, you know, what the sort of mainstream story of what's happening, you know, obviously mm-hmm. people are speaking about distressed assets coming. And so we're, what we're seeing is uh, our model is a, a model where people come together to economically share costs for housing. So earlier you talked about, you know, multiple family members, multiple wage earners, right? Those people live defensively and also they have the capability to sustain in in upset times, right? If one person loses their job, there's three other income earners in the family that can pick up the slack and continue to share, you know, incomes and expenses is what we say it. And so we're seeing an acceleration of that because now families are coming together, right? It's the reverse of new family or new household formation, which in the apartment market you always look for as a sign of, you know, demand for, for, you know, rental units in the future, we're in the opposite mode right now where people are going, I'm getting out of that unit. I'm a single earner household. I lost my job. I can't pay this rent. I'm out. Mm -hmm. And so where are they going? Well, they're going, they're moving home. Consolidating uh, with someone else, right? Yeah. Consolidation. Right. That's a great word for it. Um, And they're, you know, they're moving home with parents, they're getting roommates, they're getting more roommates. And so we actually are very well positioned to accept like our product lives well for multiple, you know, people, we have five bedrooms and most importantly have four bathrooms, right? Think about (laughs) having bathroom capacity with roommates or family. So what that has us doing is we're being, you know, cautious in our underwriting, but we're accelerating. So we're looking at acquiring and our, you know, looking at new land assets now. And we'll pair that with, uh, before I mentioned, lowering or, you know, uh, reduced land costs and reduced construction costs. So, Mm -hmm. we're in this interesting positive position right now for, you know, raising capital where we have a good long-term asset, right? We're still undersupplied, right? When we come out of this thing in, you know, 18 months, two years, whatever the time period for the recovery will be, um, you know, California is still undersupplied. That's not going away. In fact, arguably, we're going to reduce housing production over the next 24 months, which is only going to exacerbate when we do yeah. recover. So we yeah, want to be not enough supply, right? Right. And what so I love what you're saying, Scott, too, about, about the, the, you know, the infill type of stuff, people that want to live in the urban core, um, but still family units. Yeah. And yeah. workforce is the fact that mm-hmm. in a recession, the people that are in luxury, class A, like you said, they're going to consolidate or move down to workforce. And in an expanding economy, people that are in maybe like a C-class type of property or B minus, mm-hmm. they're going to upgrade to workforce. Yep. And so it, yep. it, it becomes the product that's got that perfect bandwidth in the middle that's elastic, yep. that you have people on both ends, top and bottom, moving to where you're at. That's exactly why we invest in workforce value-add yep. stuff. We don't mm-hmm. look for luxury anywhere. I just looked at a building. Um, I mean, the diamond type of project in downtown Cleveland, the mm-hmm. Rockefeller building built by John D. Rockefeller himself. Right. The, the, the top floor, 34 volts. Wow. 
The basement, <laughs> massive vault, all marble. John D. Rockefeller kept his actual money yeah. in these vaults. Yeah, his, Unbelievable. His, wow. We talked earlier about micro units, right? So yeah. But develop buying the building, can buy the building for $13 million. Amazing mm-hmm. deal. Currently office, convert it, $83 million conversion, all in for about $100 million. Problem is, right, unbelievable opportunity to do micro units downtown, like right mm-hmm. across the street from what will be the new Sherwin-Williams world headquarters. But the reason why you don't do that, why we opted out of that deal, is everything that just happened. One, it's a very yeah. specific core product for a specific mm-hmm. niche people, was partially uh, you know, dependent on Sherwin-Williams, who have now, of course, in this environment, has kicked off and postponed the development of their new world headquarters, right. which was one of the fears. That's yep. why you do things that might not be the sexiest product, the luxury product, or mm-hmm. you know, relative to C-class, the highest yielding product, because often the cheap stuff yeah. is the highest yield. Why you go work for us? Doesn't matter if it's a single family rental, uh, urban townhome, or mm-hmm. you know, value add, you know, uh, you know, value add apartments. It's why you right. do it because it can last in any type of economic time. Yeah, very important. Also, and also add to that why workforce makes sense. It, it, you know, any of those product spectrums that you described. You look, the middle class is is right now and under pressure, right? So incomes are stagnant, and housing mm-hmm. prices, at least up till a month ago, were going up, right? Sure. And we'd say on the very much longer term, after we come out of this recession, I would expect housing costs to continue to rise, right? And so what's happening is it's creating a gap between housing costs generally and incomes generally, right? In the old days, you'd hear the story of, hey, I got my, you know, I got my first job and I had my family and I made enough money to buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, nobody says this, but rent a unit, right? Now you can't. You get that starter job that does not afford like anything in most markets. I mean, you know, every right. market's a little bit different, but I think generally, and so the gap is where workforce housing goes into. And the gap is between housing costs generally and incomes generally, right? And incomes are not going up and, and right, housing costs are generally rising, right? So you're, you're going to have this ever widening gap. So when we get out of this recession, we will come back to that because in the United States, we're still generally underbuilding. Mm-hmm. And even in markets that are development friendly, we're not building enough housing for that. And so this middle income, this middle class is getting dropped down the food chain. You know, they either have to, you know, occupy inferior housing or in California, major metro markets they have to pay more as a percentage of their income towards rent, right? In California, mm-hmm. 50, 60% of income towards rent is very typical for wow. your, you know, your modern income family. So where we are with it, and I think you're in the same mode, is that we love the long-term story of these families being incredibly stable, working families, right? They're salt of the earth, right? They're the mm-hmm. middle class of, that we think of when we think of the United States and America, and they're just not being taken care of well enough. And so you and, and I as entrepreneurs are going into those marketplaces. And you're right, it's not the sexiest product. Um, you know, I, we, through our ways, you guys can, we can produce, you know, great yields to investors and a solid, stable population for a long time. Right. So Mm -hmm. we are so excited about that story, just like you are that we're, we converted a year ago to everything. We're holding everything. In fact, my, you know, like you said, I say the same thing internally. Like I want to own everything forever. Even right. to our investors who I say, hey, invest with us for, you know, seven years, 10 years, right? 10 is our preference right now. 
Um, I, you know, we'll, we'll put a mechanism into the, into the, you know, the operating agreement for the LLC that we have the capability to buy them out in the 10th year, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll produce their yield for them. Um, but I, you know, I also know this because I look at all the assets that I sold over the years and I kick myself yeah. that I, that I wish I would have held every one of them. Right. I yeah. should have held that thing. It's worth four X what I sold it for, you know, 15 yeah. years ago. And, you know, and obviously the market cycle and the ups and downs uh, are going to change the, you know, how much you make when, but it's sort of like the stock market and Warren Buffett. He says, look in the long run, you know, you want to be invested in the marketplace. And if you look at it on a 30 year window, you are going to make on average 8% in the marketplace. And yes, some years you'll get, you know, your butt kicked. Some years you'll do yeah. great and, and just hit it out of the park. Um, and, you know, like, like, by the way, housing is still a fundamental biological need. Humans will never run out of the need for shelter. That's like right. Ever. That's right. And so yeah, we got, yeah, so like, it's, it's a defensive space, you know, in the long I, run. I love it. So as we kind of round third here, head for home, um, what I love about what we're hearing is a couple of things from an entrepreneurial perspective, right? Is that often it's in, it's in the seeking of creating value for others that the entrepreneur finds sort of their wheelhouse. And that's kind of what happened mm-hmm. for you looking for yeah. what can I create that everybody else needs? Wasn't exactly what you were set out to find, but you found it. It's working. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's a big lesson. I think we take away from this interview Secondly, is relationships, building that network, expanding the network for the long haul. Um, also, to hear you say, you know, because I feel the same way, every asset that I sold, I wish I still owned. And I think that's <laughs> a lesson for our audience is, look, right. when you invest for the long term, the sooner you can put your long term hat on, the mm-hmm. better. I know life comes up, need money from certain things, have to sell some yep. assets. It happens. I get it. It happened yep. to me before. It happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you can find a way to stay liquid in, in, the, in the troublesome times and hold the assets, it's going to serve mm-hmm. you forever. So don't be transactional in what you're doing, whether you're a developer, whether you're a builder, yeah. whether you're a private lender, whether you're a single family home investor, whatever. Find a way to get in for the long term now. Mm-hmm. The tax advantages, the true wealth creation is from owning the assets long term. Absolutely. Right? Those are all the things yeah. that really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and I would just- I would add to that. I think one of the key differences in my thinking that that um you know had me have the capability to hold long term because you know as you know when you're you know when you're a, an investor or a sponsor value add or a developer, but particularly latter two, you know it's always hey the next deal is going to pay me X. I can be profitable. I can sell the deal right. That puts you know a mm-hmm. big chunk of money in the bank, and that's always a great event. But really where I turned the corner on that was once I started creating multiple sources of income, right? So we, I mentioned earlier the advisory team, right? We have an, a team of people who are working constantly on diversified commercial projects, you know, restaurant business, although that's under pressure now, uh, you know, we'll, we'll advise, you know, other parties that need to do development but aren't developers. And I would just uh, counsel people that once you can create that source of income, keep your household costs low, and then, you know, create that su- second source of income, all of a sudden you can be patient and, you know, now you don't have to sell that property, right? And so right. get out of that, like both put that thinking on, but, you know, for me, the strategy was, hey, create that second, third, fourth source of income, whatever it is, right? That can be, you know, like 
coherent with your investing and your development, then all of a sudden you go, oh, now I don't have that driving need to, you know, ever be putting a big chunk of money. And it's great. Like I'll, I'll never resist, you know, a big wire transfer into a, you know, company bank account after the sale of an asset. That's an excellent thing. And at the end of the day, all these assets will, you know, eventually, you know, want to be monetized in one way or the other in the, in the really, right. really long run. Right. So that's a key. Yeah. You know, multiple, multiple streams of income filling in at other times, yeah. but being resourceful. I think it's a, it's the, one of the top criteria of being a good long-term entrepreneur is being resourceful because you just don't know what you don't know. You walk into right. an environment like this with this virus that nobody could possibly ever seen coming and you've got to be resourceful as heck. And a lot of it is relying on relationships, investors, your team, your, your yep. connections and learning what are they doing? What, what's working for them? How can I incorporate that into my team yeah. to help us get through this, be profitable, have multiple streams of income, and then go back when things are good, then go back to really honing in on the one or two things that you're really great at and driving that during the economic right. expansion time. That's so right. really, yeah. really good advice there. Scott, for our audience that wants to reach out to you, whether it's investing in your deals, learning more about how you build, um, you know, people that just want to connect with you, do deals with you, potentially bring you land deals, how can they reach out to you? What's a good place for them to connect? Yeah, great, great. Thanks for asking. So uh, best place to go, our website's www.urbanpacific.com. Go to the contact page and our entire team, you'll get direct access, you know, phone, phone numbers, emails. So, you know, we're reachable in multiple channels. Uh, check out our YouTube uh, channel under Urban Pacific Group of Companies. A lot of good investor education, a lot of videos uh, on our website, a lot of articles, you know, how to underwrite deals, you know, a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, knowledge-based uh, information there. And then I'm on LinkedIn. So anybody can find me on LinkedIn, nice. all the social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, but uh, website and uh, YouTube are, are great resources for investors that, you know, want to learn more about uh, investing generally and, you know, uh, investing in workforce housing. Fantastic, Scott. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Accelerated Investor. And for my audience and listeners, make sure you give us some feedback. You know how we just love and crave your feedback comments, questions, reviews, any of those kind of things, put them right onto our YouTube page, right onto our acceleratedinvestorpodcast.com page or iTunes so I can feed those over to Scott, get answers to you, connect with Scott. We'll also put Scott's contact information right inside the show notes so you can reach out to him as well. Scott, listen, had a fantastic uh, time spending with you today, learning more about your business and growing as an entrepreneur. And also I love the concept of really focusing in on your kind of ideal and specific way that you make money with your UTH projects. Thanks so much for being on today. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. Appreciate it. You got it. You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities to start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com.